Well, let's hope you can respond with joy as we read Isaiah 1. <laughs> it's a little bit interesting. And uh, this uh, reading, Isaiah 1, can be found in 548 in your pew Bible, if you would like to follow along. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem, which he saw during the reigns of Huzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. God has had enough is my subtitle. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Solomon. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What are, you, what are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle, and I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I'm a weary of bearing them. So when you spread your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Truly, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Verses 8 through 16, and it is helpful if I turn on my microphone, so I apologize for that. I'll start again. Our second reading today comes from the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, and then continuing on with verses 8 through 16, and this can be found on page 977 in your pew Bible. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, Indeed, by faith our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he set out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that, had, that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. 
By faith, he received power of procreation, even though he was too old, and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven, and as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth, for people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had opportunity to return, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. And our final reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 12, verses 32 through 40. Jesus is continuing to teach, and he says to the gathered crowd, do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But know this, if the owner of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Sisters and brothers, this is the word of the Lord spoken for you. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, this morning as we take a moment to reflect upon your word, help us to hear your word. Guide us in our understanding and in our knowing that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our God, our rock, our creator, our redeemer, and our sustainer. Amen. Like many people in the United States today, um, particularly people my age and younger, it's been a very long time since I've had a landline, Um, since I've had a a phone in my house that I couldn't take with me wherever I go. Uh, For a brief time a few years ago, I had one, but it just reminded me, nobody ever called me on it, they always just called me on my cell phone, and it just reminded me of what I learned the last time I had a landline, and that it seemed... is that it seems like the majority of the calls that I would get would just be telemarketers. 
trying to sell me something. Uh, even when I was on the do not call list, I was getting tons of calls, and so I scrapped the landline, went with my cell phone, and I, I haven't looked back. However, a number of years ago, when I was living in Louisville, so that's well over 14 years ago now, I received a call one day from one of those telemarketers. I was a young man on the other end of the line, and I answered the phone, and I said, hello, and he started his pitch with, please don't hang up on me. <laughs> Just hear me out. And I could hear he was worn out. He was tired. I said to him, you must have a lot of people who hang up on you in your job, don't you? And he sighs, and he says, yeah, I hate my job. He immediately caught himself, and he changed the tone and the way that he was speaking, and he went into his pitch, and I listened to it, and I said, thank you, but no thank you, have a great day, and he said, thank you for listening to me. But he immediately caught himself after he sighed and said, I hate my job, because you know that in call centers, you never know when the supervisor is listening on the other end of the line. They, in fact, tell you most of the time when you start one of those calls, this call may be monitored to assure, to assure quality, assist, uh, quality assurance. And so he knew that his boss could be listening in and realized that by sighing deeply and, and saying, I hate my job, he could be putting his job in jeopardy. He was clearly unhappy. He was clearly miserable. He let that slip and had a different tone and a different attitude when he thought that maybe no one was listening in and when he could be caught by the boss. I don't blame him. We've all been there. We've all done it. We've all done those things where we're acting one way when there's someone who's in charge of us in some way is around. The boss, our mom, grandma, the pastor. We've all acted one way, trying to make a good impression, trying to make them think better of you. You're working your way towards a promotion. When the boss walks across the floor, you make sure you're working a little bit harder. We've all done it. Now, sometimes when it comes to behavior, overall behavior, and the way that we talk and, talk and the way that we act, we, uh, we tend to call people who do this two-faced. Oh, they're so two-faced when the boss is around, they're all nice and smiles to the customers, but when the boss isn't around, they're mean and nasty to the customers. We tend to call folks hypocrites for acting one way when the folks that are in charge are around and another when they're not. But like I said, we've all done it. All of us, we're all a little two-faced, we're all a little hypocritical, we've all done it. In a lot of ways, it's human nature. Recently, I've been listening to a show on NPR uh, called Invisibilia, and Invisibilia is a show that talks about, they, they, uh, the tagline is the invisible forces that run our lives, the, the things that make us do the things that we do that we don't even realize are there and present. It's a fascinating show. If you give, have an opportunity, check it out. So educational, I've learned a lot over the past couple of years listening to this show, but recently they had a show on personality. 
who people are at their core. And it addressed the issue of whether or not people have a core personality of who they are. We deal with this all the time, particularly when we're dealing with ex-offenders. Are they good people or are they bad people? If they have done these bad things, can they ever be good people again? And one of the things that they were talking about is that the psychological research shows that our personalities are not fixed. We are not one type of person only. Our personalities, our core personalities, are actually fairly flexible based on situations and circumstances and systems that we find ourselves in. Now, it seems that we have a fairly static personality because time after time, we as human beings tend to choose the same kind of circumstances and situations and systems to place our, ourselves in unconsciously, but for the most part, we are not fixed. We are not good or bad. We find ourselves in situations where we do good things or bad things. We make good choices or bad choices. This is really interesting because this goes into a classic Christian understanding of what it means to be a sinful human being. We as Christians believe that we as humans are sinful and broken by nature. We tend towards bad choices. We tend towards bad behavior and bad acts. Given a choice, our tendency is to lean towards the bad choices. Even sometimes when we mean well. In the Hebrew Bible, one of the words that is used for sin, that we translate just to sin, just to sin in English today, literally means to miss the mark. It means that you're perhaps trying to do the right thing, but make the wrong choice. And miss the mark of doing right and good in the world. It means that we, as human beings, even when we're trying to do good, we can be led astray into making those bad choices. We can be misled or mistaken and make the wrong actions. Or sometimes we can just give in to the temptation to do what is wrong, even though we know that it's wrong because it's there, and perhaps we don't think that we're going to get caught. A story that I like to tell is, is a story of when I was in high school, and my uh, junior and senior year in high school, my, my high school campus still was an open, open campus for lunch for upperclassmen. And so we would have, what, 25 minutes to rush out of the building, hop in our cars, go like mad people to all the fast food restaurants around town, throw food in our mouths, and rush back to campus. It really was insane, and I'm so glad that the campus is closed now. But at the time, it was so awesome to be able to go to Burger King for lunch. 
And I remember going to lunch with my friends, and my parents gave me an allowance, this is before I had a job, of so much money per week, and it wasn't enough to eat out at Burger King or McDonald's every day. And so one of my friends taught me a little trick. You get your burger, and you order a water. And then you take the water and you dump it out, and you go get your soda. No one will know, Leanne. It's easy. I wasn't friends with that person for very long. But it was easy to want to give in no one will know and it's not harming anyone. I'm not a person who steals. But I found myself in a situation where it would have been very easy to steal. Sinfulness. It's not so much being a hypocrite. It's that we don't live up to what we say that we want to live up to. And it's that we don't live into the fullness of who God is calling us to be. Because we have all of these choices that are out there between the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do, and sometimes the wrong thing to do is so easy and so tempting, and it's what everybody else is doing, and no one's gonna notice, no one's gonna see. Given our nature as human beings, it has to be a conscious decision on our parts to be different than that. We have to make the conscious choice to do good and to be good in the world. To take what the world gives us and react to it in ways that are positive and hopeful and full of love. To give the situations and the circumstances that the world gives us and act in ways that reflect the goodness of Christ. To live into who God calls us to be. It has to be a conscious choice on our parts. And it is not easy. Remember, our natural inclination is towards making those wrong choices, those bad choices, and then you add the temptations of the world on top of it, those things, those idols that are out there in the world of the things that we should be aspiring to according to our culture and our society and all that. It's so hard to make the choices to put ourselves in situations and circumstances where we are making the right choices in our lives. But that's what we've been called to do. Being a person of faith is not about doing the right religious things. It's not about coming to a place of worship and having those solemn assemblies that the prophet Isaiah spoke so harshly against, those solemn assemblies where people would go and do all of those right things and then go and leave and continue to make the wrong choices. A life lived in faith means to enter into that relationship with God where we are reasoning it out with God. In the NRSV translation of that passage, it says, come, let us 
argue it out, reasoning it out, arguing it out, wrestling it out with God, what it means to do good and be good in the world given all the choices that we are given. A life lived in faith means for us to enter into that relationship with God where we are always working and striving to make the conscious choice to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord, to wash ourselves, make ourselves clean, remove the evil of our doings from before God's eyes and cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, and plead for the widow. A life lived in faith is the conscious choice to choose these things in our daily living, in the small moments, every day, even when we don't have to, even when there's no reward waiting for us and no prize and no applause for doing the right thing, even when we don't think anyone will notice if we choose the other even when it's difficult to do the right thing, even when it comes at a great cost to ourselves, this is what we are called to do as people of faith. God calls us to be prepared to steal our lives to make the conscious decision to do good and be good for God's good in the world so that when it comes to those moments where we have to make a split second decision about how we are going to act and what we are going to say and who we are going to be in any given moment, we have trained ourselves to seek to choose good. Now, it doesn't mean that we're always going to make the right choices. It doesn't mean that we're always going to do the right things, but it, it's, it's a training and it is a work in progress as we seek to follow the call of God in our lives. If we can do that in our daily living, it's as if we are the servants waiting at the house with our lamps lit, ready to go for when the master comes. And we can be prepared to answer the specific call that God puts on us at any given moment. To choose the good. God's good. God's justice and righteousness in this world. Like so many of us this week, I've been, I've been transfixed by what's going on in Rio. The Olympics and the, the pageantry and the athleticism and, and the wonderful stuff that's, headed, that's, that's going on in the Olympics. But part of what has transfixed me and one of the stories that I have just been struck by is the story of the refugee team the first refugee team created by the International Olympic Committee to give an Olympic home for those who do not have country. And I've been struck by the story of one of the swimmers, an 18-year-old young woman named Yursa from Syria. A year ago, she was fighting for her life. She set out from Turkey to try to make it to Greece on a dinghy built for six people that was loaded down with 20. 20 minutes out, 20 minutes after they left shore, their little dinghy's motor stopped working and it started taking on water. 
and only four people in the boat knew how to swim. Young people, old people. She mentions a six-year-old little boy on that boat. She said she didn't want to die whining about drowning, and if she was going to die, she wanted to die being proud of her and her sister. And so her and her sister and two young men, the only four people on the boat that knew how to swim, got out of the boat and started pushing and pulling that dinghy to safety. After a while, the two young men gave up. Their bodies gave up. They couldn't do it anymore. And so they held on to the dinghy as Yursa and her sister pulled that dinghy to Greece. Three and a half hours of swimming in frigid water. A fantastic story, a story that's a testament to the will to live and the will to survive and the will to do what's good in this world. But the piece of that story that started me weeping was when she mentioned the thing that she did that she did not have to do. She was driven by a will to survive and, and the compassion that she had for her sisters and her brothers that were in that boat to get them to safety so that they could live and live free. But the thing that she did not have to do that she mentioned is that she kept looking back at that boat, at that six-year-old boy sitting on the boat and knew that he was scared and she was scared too, but she didn't want him to be frightened. So for those three and a half hours while she and her sister pulled that boat to safety, she kept turning around and making funny faces at him to keep him calm and to give him peace. Her lamp was already burning. And so given the opportunity to do the right thing, she did. It could have cost her her life. But she chose justice instead. May we all seek to keep our lamps trimmed and burning. May we not just cease to do evil, but learn to do good, actively choosing good in the world, to seek justice, to rescue the oppressed, to defend the orphan, and to plead for the widow. Let us seek God's will and God's way for us and for this world and train ourselves and our lives and our hearts and our minds to choose God's good when presented with the option to not. Let us be prepared to answer the call of Christ when he knocks at our door, whenever that might be, so that in our daily living and in the sudden and unexpected call of the moment, we may love the Lord our God with our hearts, minds, soul, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. Sisters and brothers, let us pray. Gracious and loving God, 
this morning, we confess to you that we too often have chosen the easy path, the path of wrong choices, of bad deeds and unkind words. Help us, O Lord, to seek to do your good in the world. Help us to change our hearts and our minds that we may choose your good, your righteousness, your justice. Help us to turn to you in our daily living and away from sin. Help us to seek your will and your way for this world and all of your people. Be in us and with us that we may find you. Help us to keep our lamps trimmed and burning. That we may be prepared to follow you and your call at any moment. Be with us, O Lord. Guide us in all of your ways that we may feel your presence and your peace. Be in us and with us that we may know your comfort and your strength. Heal your children where we are broken, in body, mind, or in spirit. Strengthen us when we are weak. Give us hope when we are lost. Give us courage when all around us seems to be falling apart. Give us the words to speak your love, even when we have nothing ourselves to say. Help us to stand for what is right and good and true in this world. Help us stand against injustice against hate and stand for you and your love and your truth instead. We pray, O oh Lord, for your world and all of your children in it that the hungry may be fed and the thirst of the thirsty may be quenched, that the oppressed may go free, that we may give up a love of war and warring and power and instead seek you and your peace. Lead us into your kingdom and help us to build your kingdom moment by moment, heart by heart, that we may turn to you in all things. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.